0: Chapter 44 of Jurgen, A Comedy of Justice by James Branch Cappell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jurgen, A Comedy of Justice. Chapter 44 In the Manager's Office. The tale tells that all was dark there, and Jurgen could see no one. But the cave stretched straight forward and downward, and at the far end was a glow of light. Jürgen went on and on, and so came to the place where Nessus had lain in wait for Jürgen. Again Jürgen stooped, and crawled through the opening in the cave's wall, and so came to where lamps were burning upon tall iron stands. Now one by one these lamps were going out, and there were now no women here. Instead Jürgen trod inch deep in fine white ashes, leaving the print of his feet upon them. He went forward as the cave stretched. He came to a sharp turn in the cave, with the failing lamplight now behind him, so that his shadow confronted Jürgen, blurred but unarguable. It was the proper shadow of a commonplace and elderly pawnbroker, and Jürgen regarded it with approval. Jürgen came then into a sort of underground chamber, from the roof of which was suspended a kettle of quivering red flames. Facing him was a throne, and back of this were rows of benches. But here, too, was nobody. Resting upright against the vacant throne was a triangular white shield, and when Jürgen looked more closely he could see there was writing upon it. Jürgen carried the shield as close as he could to the kettle of flames, for his eyesight was now not very good, and besides, the flames in the kettle were burning low, and Jürgen deciphered the message that was written upon the shield in black and red letters. Absent upon important affairs, it said, we'll be back in an hour." and it was signed, Thragnar R. I wonder now for whom King Thragnar left this notice, reflected Jurgen, certainly not for me, and I wonder too if he left it here a year ago or only this evening, and I wonder if it was Thragnar's head I removed in the black and silver pavilion. Ah, well, there are a number of things to wonder about in this incredible cave wherein the lights are dying out as I observe with some discomfort and I think the air grows chillier." Then Jürgen looked to his right, at the stairway which he and Guinevere had ascended, and he shook his head. "'Glathion is no fit resort for a respectable pawnbroker. Chivalry is for young people, like the late Duke of Legreus. But I must get out of this place, for certainly there is in the air a death-like chill.' So Jürgen went on down the aisle between the rows of benches wherefrom Thragnar's warriors had glared at Jürgen when he was last in this part of the cave. At the end of the aisle was a wooden door painted white. It was marked in large black letters, Office of the Manager, Keep Out. So Jürgen opened this door. He entered into a notable place illuminated by six crescent lights. These lights were the power of Assyria and Nineveh and Egypt and Rome and Athens and Byzantium. Six other cressets stood ready there, but fire had not yet been laid to these. Back of all was a large blackboard with much figuring on it in red chalk. And here too was the black gentleman, who a year ago had given his blessing to Jurgen for speaking civilly of the powers of darkness. To-night the black gentleman wore a black dressing-gown that was embroidered with all the signs of the zodiac he sat at a table, the top of which was curiously inlaid with thirty pieces of silver. And he was copying entries from one big book into another. He looked up from his writing pleasantly enough and very much as though he were expecting Jürgen. "'You find me busy with the stellar accounts,' says he, "'which appear to be in a fearful muddle. But what more can I do for you, Jürgen, for you, my friend, who spoke a kind word for things as they are—' and furnished me with one or two really acceptable explanations as to why I had created evil." "'I have been thinking, prince,' begins the pawnbroker. "'And why do you call me a prince, Jürgen?' "'I do not know, sir, but I suspect that my quest is ended and that you are Koschei the Deathless.' The black gentleman nodded. Something of the sort. Koschei or Ardnari or Ptah or Ajaldalaoth or Abraxas. It is all one what I may be called hereabouts. My real name you never heard, no man has ever heard my name. So that matter we need hardly go into." "'Precisely, Prince. Well, but it is a long way that I have travelled round about to win to you who made things as they are, and it is eager I am to learn just why you made things as they are.' Up went the black gentleman's eyebrows into regular Gothic arches. And do you really think, Jürgen, that I am going to explain to you why I made things as they are? I fail to see, Prince, how my wanderings could have any other equitable climax. But friend, I have nothing to do with justice. To the contrary, I am Koschei, who made things as they are." Jürgen saw the point. Your reasoning, Prince, is unanswerable. I bow to it. I should even have foreseen it. Do you tell me, then, what thing is this that I desire, and cannot find in any realm that man has known, nor in any kingdom that man has imagined?" koschei was very patient. I am not, I confess, anything like as well acquainted with what has been going on in this part of the universe as I ought to be. Of course events are reported to me, in a general sort of way, and some of my people were put in charge of these stars, a while back, but they appear to have run the constellation rather shiftlessly. Still, I have recently been figuring on the matter, and I do not despair of putting the sun's hereabouts to some profitable use, in one way or another, after all. Of course it is not as if it were an important constellation. But I am an economist, and I dislike waste." Then he was silent for an instant, not greatly worried by the problem, as Jürgen could see, but mildly vexed by his inability to divine the solution out of hand. Presently Kocher said. "'And in the meantime, Jürgen, I am afraid I cannot answer your question on the spur of the moment. You see, there appears to have been a great number of human beings, as you call them, evolved upon—oh yes, upon earth. I have the approximate figures over yonder, but they would hardly interest you. And the desires of each one of these human beings seems to have been multitudinous and inconstant. Yet, Jürgen, you might appeal to the local authorities, for I remember appointing some at the request of a very charming old lady." "'In fine, you do not know what thing it is that I desire,' said Jürgen, much surprised. "'Why, no, I have not the least notion,' replied Cochet. "'Still, I suspect that, if you got it, you would protest it was a most unjust affliction. So why keep worrying about it?' Jürgen demanded, almost indignantly, but have you not then, prince, been guiding all my journeying during this last year?" Now really, Jürgen, I remember our little meeting very pleasantly, and I endeavoured forthwith to dispose of your most urgent annoyance. But I confess, I have had one or two other matters upon my mind since then. You see, Jürgen, the universe is rather large, and the running of it is a considerable tax upon my time. I cannot manage to see anything like as much of my friends as I would be delighted to see of them. And so, perhaps, what with one thing and another, I have not given you my undivided attention all through the year, not every moment of it, that is. Ah, Prince, I see that you are trying to spare my feelings, and it is kind of you. But the upshot is that you do not know what I have been doing, and you do not care what I was doing. Dear me! but this is a very sad come-down for my pride. Yes, but reflect how remarkable a possession is that pride of yours, and how I wonder at it, and how I envy it in vain. I, who have nothing anywhere to contemplate save my own handiwork. Do you consider, Jürgen, what I would give if I could find, anywhere in this universe of mine, anything which would make me think myself one-half so important as you think Jürgen is?" And Koschei sighed. But instead Jürgen considered the humiliating fact that Koschei had not been supervising Jürgen's travels, and of a sudden Jürgen perceived that this Koschei the Deathless was not particularly intelligent. Then Jürgen wondered why he should ever have expected Koschei to be intelligent. Koschei was omnipotent, as men estimate omnipotence, but by what course of reasoning had people come to believe that Koschei was clever, as men estimate cleverness? The fact that, to the contrary, Koshe seemed well meaning, but rather slow of apprehension, and a little needlessly fussy, went far toward explaining a host of matters which had long puzzled Jurgen. Cleverness was, of course, the most admirable of all traits. But cleverness was not at the top of things and never had been. Very well, then, says Jurgen with a shrug. Let us come to my third request, and to the third thing that I have been seeking. Here, though, you ought to be more communicative. "'For I have been thinking, Prince, my wife's society is perhaps becoming to you a trifle burdensome. "'Eh, sirs, I am not unaccustomed to women. "'I may truthfully say that as I find them, so do I take them. "'And I was willing to oblige a fellow-rebel. "'But I do not know, Prince, that I have ever rebelled. "'Far from it, I have everywhere conformed with custom.' "'Your lips conformed, but all the while your mind made verses, Jürgen, and poetry is man's rebellion against being what he is and besides you call me a fellow rebel now how can it be possible that koschei who made all things as they are should be a rebel unless indeed there is some power above even koschei i would very much like to have that explained to me sir no doubt but then why should i explain it to you Jurgen? says the black gentleman well be that as it may prince but to return a little I do not know that you have obliged me in carrying off my wife—I mean, of course, my first wife." "'Why, Jurgen," says the black gentleman in high astonishment, "'do you mean to tell me that you want the plague of your life back again?' "'I do not know about that either, sir. She was certainly very hard to live with. On the other hand, I had become used to having her about. I rather miss her, now that I am again an elderly person. Indeed. I believe I have missed Lisa all along." The black gentleman meditated. "'Come, friend,' he says at last, "'you were a poet of some merit. You displayed a promising talent which might have been cleverly developed in any suitable environment. Now, I repeat, I am an economist. I dislike waste.' And you were never fitted to be anything save a poet. The trouble was," and Koshy lowered his voice to an impressive whisper, the trouble was... your wife did not understand you. She hindered your art. Yes, that precisely sums it up. She interfered with your soul-development and your instinctive need of self-expression and all that sort of thing. You are very well rid of this woman, who converted a poet into a pawnbroker. On the other side, as with point observed somewhere or other, it is not good for a man to live alone. But friend i have just the wife for you well prince said jürgen i am willing to taste any drink once so Koschei waved his hand and there quick as winking was the loveliest lady that jürgen had ever imagined end of chapter forty four